HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash beer sessions. HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, People of Color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership of $500 value is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, June 30th, 2020. We're still in the middle of COVID. A lot of things are going on, but we're recording every week remotely um, while our studio is closed. So we have some great guests today. Originally, we were going to talk about Beer Without Beards, a, a great women uh, women in beer festival. Uh, again, due to COVID, that festival is not happening in New York City. But we have three guests who met last year at it. So let's have them introduce themselves. And first, I want to give a shout out to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. It's a summer drive, so you can become a member at HeritageRadioNetwork.org slash donate. So let's go around the room. Let's start with Kim Harris. Hi, I'm Kim Harris. I'm one of the owners of Harlem Hop. We are a craft beer bar located in Harlem um, on Adam Clayton Powell um, between 133rd and 134th Street. Um, we just celebrated our two-year anniversary uh, just um, on the 9th of June, and um, it's been a fun and exciting adventure dealing with this whole COVID situation, um, and I think I covered the most part. That's great. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, and uh, we're going to talk a lot with you tonight. Let's get Sarah from Origin Mall. Hey, my name's Sarah Haggerty. I'm with Origin Malt. We are centered in Columbus, Ohio, but we grow barley from the East Coast all the way west to Illinois. Uh, we grow a type of winter barley that's a descendant of a pop- popular brewing variety called Marisotter. Uh, that product we have malted and we are building our malt house here in Ohio. And I have been out in New York several times to visit customers and also to participate in beers without beards. So it's great to be back on and talk with you, all you ladies and, and Jimmy. One thing about beer without beards, I, I remember meeting Grace Whites uh, several years ago. She was a grad student and she was starting to work with hop culture and she was just working on that event. Um, how did you each learn about Beer Without Beards and, you know, anything you want to say about it? Let's start with Sarah, because that's how I met you last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was in town last year. It was a great, um, great festival and a great coming together of the community out there. We, um, we met Grace actually out at the Craft Brewers Conference in Denver last year. Uh, so it was a great opportunity not only to meet a lot of people in our industry, but also to meet um, great individuals who are doing work in in the sector of bringing women into the beer industry and popularizing it, I think, a little bit more. And Beers Without Beards 
was a great fest. We did a collaboration, Origin Malt did a collaboration with LIC Beer Project out there and Hop Culture. And we also put on a seed to sip malt school um, that happened the day after the fest. So we poured our beer um, made with Origin Malt um, with LIC at the fest. And then we had a great time at LIC where we hosted a malt school the next day that was open to um, attendees of the festival. They were able to register for a ticket and get a really intimate look at a raw material that's not often talked about um, to bring everybody together around the topic of not only great beer, but um, how it's made and what barley and what barley malt is specifically. So it was a great time. And how is the supply chain working? Like in terms of like you're a women owned malt company. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Do, do you find that there's a different, you know, introduction that happens with women uh and the supplier yeah and breweries and everything uh definitely i i have an interesting perspective only because i was brought into this industry by another woman um i think that's something that's really special about my experience um my longtime friend and uh colleague uh cara taylor at white labs that was my she was my gateway into my first really professional gig in the beer industry it's as a supplier there's a lot of women definitely but we're also still operating very much in a man's world. Um, a lot of our customers are, it's a male dominated field. So as a female um, on the supply side, I definitely think that there's room for growth and diversity and inclusion. Uh, it's, it's very much a mirror of the industry that, that is craft beer on the supply side. That's great. Sure. And uh, Catherine's back. Catherine, can you quickly introduce yourself? Hi. I'm Catherine Kyle from the Blind Tiger, which is a craft beer bar in the West Village of New York City. Great. So we have everyone on. Um, so let's go to Kim now. Kim, you know, what do you think when you hear women in beer? I mean, do you think that that part of the conversation is tired out? Um, I don't think any um, any conversation about a minority is, is ever going to be tired out um, until you know, it's, it becomes not a thing anymore. Um, and as time goes on, we'll see, hopefully, we'll see, continue to see um, progression happens, you know, in terms of the Me Too movement happening. And now with the movement of Black Lives Matter, um, we should definitely see um, the needle pushing forward um, in terms of not having to have these conversations or separations in um, particular demographics because, you know, realistically, there's no one group that is a monolith. And if for us to, to think that way, it's just ridiculous. Everybody, there's going to be somebody in any group that's going to like something. Um, and I think that, uh, that's what we just need to um, get into our mindset. And that way we can move past that part of the discussion. But um, I do think women in beer, um, you know, it, it, it needs to be highlighted, just like everything else needs to be highlighted. So people can keep that in mind and keep it in the forefront of their brains that it's not just, you can't just market one thing to one particular group. You have to be broad with who you're marketing towards because you don't know who your demographic is going to really be. And how, how did you feel that that was done with Beer Without Beards? Because it, it seemed novel at the time, but look, looking at it, it seemed like the most diverse and exciting beer festival that's happened in New York City. Right. I think they did an a, a excellent job with um, making sure they reached out to everyone that um, a diverse demographic of women, of course, at the festival and it's very inclusive and I really enjoyed my time there. I wasn't able to go the first year and we had um, Tanya Hopkins who works with us um, as our food historian. She was able to attend the first year and she was able to show us pictures. But, you know, second year I was able to come and we had merchandise and um, had a little table set up next to Celeste uh, Beatty, who's owner of Harlem Brewing Company. And we had a really good time, you know, meeting people and letting them know about the bar. Um, it was a great, great energy. Um, it rained, <laughs> but it, it, it people still hung in there and kept on going, you know. So 
it was good. It was a good day. It seems like rain is the new new unpredictable thing when you do festivals. Uh, right. <laughs> um, let's go to Catherine. So Catherine, um, these are just introductory questions, but where have you found community in the beer world, or how have you formed your own community? Because I know Blind Tiger is a pretty special place. Yeah, I think it is, and um, it's interesting. We definitely have a lot of different communities that intersect with the Blind Tiger, and that's one of the things that I really love is we get to help be a driver of community, but, um, you know, obviously, I, well, I've been in the business for about 20 years. So I've seen things change in terms of like the community of women in beer. It used to be that you could pretty much like call out the people in New York city who were women, you know, working in beer. Now that would be an impossibility. I'm really happy to say, <laughs> um, but there are, you know, there have been a lot of events that have high, highlighted um, women's uh, contribution to beer. Um, you know, we've had some at the Blind Tiger. We had one as a part of the Women Without Beards Festival last year where we wanted to shine the light on all the women who worked in distribution because sometimes that just gets left out of the whole conversation. And, you know, that packed the bar. So there, there are so many different pockets of community that I think get driven all the time. Um, but what I think is interesting is that even though there are so many more women in all facets of beer, um, from the suppliers to the brewers to um, the people who run the bars and own the bars, it's um, it's still not a driver of culture. So I think that, like when I was um, listening to you know other people talking about it, I feel like it's you know we're we're definitely making progress, but it's still a very um, hetero cis white male culture and it's slowly you know that's slowly changing um but it is i think that's when we'll really start seeing real progress is when you start seeing the culture being driven by other forces and and again i think that is slowly starting to happen that that's very interesting um kim you you, you chose to open in harlem tell us about that decision and i want you to dive into um your food historian friend, Tanya Hopkins, and how she's helped influence uh, what way you think about things. Um, <clears throat> well, the, to answer your first question, the decision to move to Harlem was um, based off of necessity. Um, you know, at the time I was become a real serious craft beer drinker and I was just tired of driving to Brooklyn and Queens to get good beer. And, um, you know, they, there were some places in Harlem that were offering beer, but they were very um, German-style uh, um, beer bars. So it was hard to get just anything that was completely different from the norm. So in, that was kind of what inspired me, but also the fact that I um, was working on a show about beer and I was helping them do the marketing for the show. And that's kind of what, you know, taught me more about beer and learning more about, um, you know, what was being offered in the neighborhood and who was offering beer in the neighborhood and seeing that there was definitely a void. Um, so that was part of the initial, you know, and it's, it's always about necessity, you know what I mean? Um, and then, um, in terms of with Tanya, um, the food historian, I met her at a dinner party. Um, a mutual friend introduced us and let her know that I was opening a beer bar. Um, we were going to open up a beer bar in Harlem and that, um, you know, and, and, and for, she informed me and started telling me a little bit about the history of beer and as it pertained to um, slavery and um, how it got to how the slaves became a part, an integral part in to the development of beer, uh, what we would call a traditional style American lager. So in that conversation, I knew I wanted to stay in contact with her and um, and figure out a way to um, implement that or. Uh, a way to creatively put that education into um, our concept and make sure that people were informed of it because, you know, obviously when it comes to anything that 
someone like just like we're talking about women and beer just like black people and beer people just have this association that no one outside of being a white um hetero male can drink beer yeah well maybe it's white bearded guys with plaid shirts <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it, it's it's interesting the idea of dr- a driving culture i'd never heard of that but it makes a lot of sense um like i know some of our friends i think you know i think you know joel and matt negron and they've been doing some of their like their Bronx collaboration. Um, is that is that what's what you guys mean by like, you know, driving the culture of beer, um, putting your stamp on the product, um, Catherine? Um, I don't mean necessarily putting your stamp on the product, but I mean um, becoming more of what people think about when they think about what the be- what beer is, what the beer community is. Um, it doesn't, you know, of course the, um, the visibility on product is definitely part of it, but really just being the people that are looked to for answers or ask questions to, um, or, you know, just that are out there, you know, spreading the word. There was an interesting, um, thing I heard where they talked about, uh, brewers that just have one name and they're talking about like Garrett and Sam and Vinny um, but they were making the case that there, you know, there really are a lot of women who are one namers too. You just don't hear it a lot. Like Natalie, um, which of course is with Finney and Russian river. And, um, oh, see right now I'm having, I'm having a, a brain hard time thinking of it, but like Kim of Kim Jordan from new Belgium. Yeah. And, um, Carol of Carol Stout. So there are those people who are just as iconic. It's just that they're not as forward when we're having the conversations. That's all. That's, that's, that's kind of what I mean about, you know, driving the culture. It's like, who do you automatically think of when you're thinking of an aspect of beer or, you know, that, you know, it's just part of it. Yeah. And so Sarah, so, you know, as a supplier, um, you're really interacting with, I know we had you on last year, the whole Northeast, um, so many brewers want to call out a a couple women, uh, that are either brewery owners or, or brewers that, that you work with. Um, you know, that I've worked with, there's some amazing women on the team at Bell's up in Michigan that I've had the pleasure of working with, but they're not in that front and center position, right? That you would know as the marketed or media. Um, Carly Smalls at Bell's is amazing. And she's extremely talented uh, brewer who originally started out in Australia and then came to the States. Uh, lots of female brewers I can think of off the top of my head right now are probably not in those heavy media or marketed focused roles. Um, some of the ladies on the team at Rheingeist, um, who we did a collaboration beer with last summer uh, that we brought out to New York with us for Beers Without Beards, um, Natalie Blair, she's a badass um, and an amazing talented brewer. Um, not the Natalie of Russian River, but another Natalie in our industry. Another one that comes to mind is um, Lauren Limbach, uh, formerly of New Belgium, or yes, with New Belgium. She's their sour expert. And then I also think of um, uh, Laura Ulrich at Stone Brewing, who's also obviously very involved with Pink Boots. She's the president of Pink Boots. Oh, that, that's an important women's organization. Uh, yeah, I think it's one of the longest going, and I think it's one of the most well-organized. Um, Terry Ferendorf, um, who's, she's a really talented um, brewer, and now um, she's head of R&D for Great Western Malt out in Vancouver, Washington. She started the organization, and she's outstanding. So now we're going to switch over subjects. Um, so for Kim, Kim, if Blind Tiger is like, you know, this temple of craft beer in the West Village... What is Harlem Hops? How do you describe it to people? I think we are the temple of beer of New York City. (laughs) 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 Um, But no, but seriously, um, we're doing something very unique in our neighborhood um, that's simply unprecedented. And um, and it's, it's, it's you know, partially to, um, you know, move the culture in terms of, you know, um, in terms of, you know, being one of the first, uh, 100% owned, um, 
black owned beer bar in in Harlem um but then also just you know just simply you know supporting the New York breweries um wholeheartedly and that that being part of like our our program you know what i mean like a lot of people aren't doing that a lot of people select their beers off of you know what the distributors uh select their beers from and that's not what we do we really curate um the menu my partner kevin is really like a a a beer scientist when it comes to that and um you know and it it's something that we're very proud of and and we took a lot of pride and it took a lot of like you know personal investment and time and finance to get it done and it it um it exudes when you get there and you experience it you know what i mean you get a very warm and welcoming experience we have an amazing team um and it's a beautiful space so i'm very i'm very happy um, I think we, 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 we got the um, 10 best, you know, we got second place in 10 best on USA Today. And I think it was very well deserved. And I really appreciate like we have this, you know, cult following that's growing. And um, I'm excited to, for the future of Harlem Hops right now. Well, congratulations. That's a, that's a big honor. Uh, how did you meet your partners? And uh, what roles do you each have because that's always an important part of setting up a business right so um i met my partner stacy first um we both have um event companies and we worked on events together for um a few years and um when i was initially i started working on harlem hops with a different group of people and the trials and tribulations that I was going through, um, I was uh, kind of lamenting to her because, you know, we were working on a tour together and she kind of just heard, you know, she's just, she heard um, the stories, the horror stories that I was going through with that initial partnership. And when I decided to leave that partnership, um, she had um, decided that she wanted to partner with me and the day after um, I left the partnership, um, our restaurant consultant introduced me to um, Kevin. And he basically said, there's a guy in Harlem that is trying to open up a beer bar, similar concept to what you're doing, and he's having issues with finding a location. So he thought it would be a good idea for us to meet. So that's how we kind of all met. And um once we were able to meet in person, we found out that we had some, you know, some, you know, similar, you know, some commonalities in that we all went to historically black colleges and universities, which is, you know, just a thing. It's kind of like a fraternal or sorority type of thing. And then um, Kevin's wife actually went to school with Stacy's brother. So, you know, there was like this, in you know indirect kind of connection there and as we worked more and more together it just strengthened our connection and Kevin and I um you know for the year going before we opened we visited most of the breweries in New York and um try in mostly in the New York City area um and sometimes upstate and in Jersey and meeting all the owners and having conversations and learning more and more about the industry that's great and are there certain like uh things you look for when when you're selecting beer for your list um sourcing ingredients you know styles uh the type of business ownership or right so um one thing i did fail to mention um the roles that we all have kevin is more of the beer curator he would speak more to how we select beers. Um, but I will give you a, a, a quick um, overview of that. Um, Stacy is, um, she kind of runs a lot of um, our marketing and also um, our nonprofit um, messaging and um, everything that, do, that deals with our nonprofit organization. And I'm really like, you know, the day-to-day um you know, GM, we have a GM, but 
he and I really work close together and um, my strength is also in marketing. Um, in terms of like our curation of our menu across the board, we work with Tanya as well um, because she knew a lot. Uh, Tanya, she knows a lot about the spirits industry and she knew background history of a lot of the um, vineyards that we, you know, selected our wine brands from, um, a lot of the craft spirits that we got. Um, that we have on our menu. We wanted to find um, African-American brands. Um, we wanted to find female-owned, small, you know, small families, that kind of thing. We weren't into, like, anything mainstream um, with our brand. And the same goes for the beer. You know, things that have, I mean, you know, obviously taste is very, like, at the top of the list of things. Like, you just have to have the heat. Um and uh but it's also important to know the story behind the brewers and you know when if if especially in situations when there's a you hear there's being signs of discrimination then we have to just kind of boycott that brewer and you know and 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 keep that in mind as well you know what i mean so you just got to be as authentic and um as possible to what your brand is and what your brand messaging is Kim, I, I read about you that at your college, there's a motto. What's the motto of your college that you use? <laughs> Our um, motto is find a way or make one. That's amazing. It sounds like you yeah. did. We're going to talk more in a second. Um, Catherine, for, for you, you, you know, let's just go back with Blind Tiger. I, I know we had you on recently. But for the same question, you know, especially now, what decisions go into, into your beer curating? and sourcings. Well, if you mean especially now, like in this post-COVID, it's different from especially now <laughs> when we were open as a full bar. So um, which would you like me to speak to? <laughs> Why don't you talk about post-COVID? Because it seems like you're thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of, that's where we're at right now. Um, so yeah, things have changed for me a lot. I'm, I'm not running any draft beer. I'm doing all cans. And I, you know, it's, it's mind-blowing to me that the blind tiger right now is open with no draft beer, but we're, you know, we've got this great outdoor seating. And so now how I pick beer is, you know, I just reach directly out to a lot of the local breweries because they will come drop by a case or two. I still work with distributors, but when I work with distributors, I, you know, just work with the breweries that I know and love and that have a proven quality. That's really, you know, number one is the quality, but also, you know, just like Kim was saying, it's like you, you have to pay attention to who owns the beer and what's going on there culturally. And, you know, what do you want to be aligned with? And, you know, I'll stop pouring people. If I get wind of something that I'm not sure of, I might stop pouring people for a while. Then I'll take some time to really find out what's going on. And sometimes I come back to them and sometimes I don't. Um, but again, there's so much great beer out there that you never have to pour a beer that you feel compromised in pouring. And that's something that's just really great about the beer world right now. There's so much high quality local beer and there's so much high quality beer, you know, all across the nation and really across the world. Although those we don't get access to a whole lot and, you know, local is better for freshness. So, you know, we tend to stay we tend to stay there more than anywhere else. But right now it's all cans. And so that's just crazy. <laughs> Hey, Catherine, what are you drinking right now? Oh, I am drinking um, Saison Bernice by Santa Adarius. And I chose that beer because um, Adair Paterno is one of the partners. And in addition to being a woman-owned brewery, it's a small brewery, Santa Adarius, in Capitola, California. And I'm lucky that I have friends out in, Cap or out in California that will sometimes send me beers that we can't get. Um, but it is delicious and tart, and it has this just really smooth mouthfeel, um, and I just love it. And I, I've, I have not had a beer of theirs that I didn't just love. So they're, you know, they're really, I haven't been to their brewery, but they are on, you know, the top of my list of a brewery that I would love to be able to go visit and check out. Yeah, and you always carry a lot of cachet when you go, too. But you know everybody, and, and you've really paid your dues. <laughs> So at this at this minute we're we're gonna take a short break and we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. This episode is brought to you by Square. 
You might know Square from their little white card readers, but Square has a lot more tools that can help businesses, especially now that they're having to figure out how to safely reopen and make things work in this new normal. So many are stepping up to the challenge, like Fifth Hammer Brewing in Long Island City. To adapt, Fifth Hammer's co-owner Mary Izette created a Square online store so customers could browse available beers, build an order, and safely pick up cans from the taproom. I was able to set up our online store within 24 hours of moving to a to-go model. The Square online store allowed Fifth Hammer to keep beer production going, serve their local customers, and retain employees. It's also very easy to train your staff on. They will be able to receive, fulfill, and provide your customers with a contactless pickup in no time. If you're a business owner, Square wants you to know it has tools that can help you shift your business, like Fifth Hammer is doing. No matter if you're brewing beer, baking bread, or mixing to-go cocktails, you can start taking online orders in minutes with pickup and delivery. And if you're selling in person, Square can help you accept contactless payments. All these tools work together and they're all in one place. You just need a Square account to get started. See all the ways Square can help your business right now by visiting square.com slash go slash beer sessions. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We have a special show talking about women in beer, and uh, shout out to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. So Sarah uh, from Origin Malts, what are you drinking right now? I am drinking a delicious, um, it's a, an American lager from Wolf's Ridge Brewing here in Columbus, Ohio. It's called Heartlandia, and it is 100% Origin Malt, um, and also made with Ohio hops. Um, so it's a really special beer for Origin. Um, it was also one of our first, the one of the first customers to actually use our logo on the can as well to call out the um, the malt and the fact that they're supporting regional ag- agriculture. So it's a really special beer for me. Well, that's great. So, see, that is a special relationship as a supplier. Um, yeah, definitely. Our farmers love seeing that on the shelves. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell me about that. I want to know a little more about your supply chain. So. Yeah. How did your malt, what malt is it? How did it get from you guys to that brewery? Yeah, so um, a little bit about the supply chain. So Origin Malt started in 2015 by our founders, Ryan Lang and Victor Thorne. Um, Our management team is comprised of 80% women and minorities. And we also have, um, our board is one third black. Um, We're a really proud organization and something that Looking at how we function in the sphere of suppliers, I'd say that we're very different than the um, the average malt supplier out there. So when Vic and Ryan started back in 2015, they started with barley. Um, they started with specifically design- finding and identifying a, a barley variety that would grow well in this region and not compete with Uh, crops like corn or soybeans. Um, So in order to do that, you have to look at winter varieties and Puffin, the variety that we grow is a winter variety. Um, We found a cup of seed in a seed bank out in Colorado and we started growing it up. Um, We started an internal seed producing group, um, which is called Malting Seed Producers. It's a subsidiary of Origin Malt and it's comprised of growers and stakeholders who also have um, ownership in the malt business. they're invested all the way from the seed down to the the malt that's produced that goes to our customers. So it's an amazing supply chain in the sense of ownership and community that really goes into not only growing high quality barley, but making sure that our customers and consumers understand where it's coming from. Um, so right now we, we have about five different varieties of malt um, and we deliver directly, sell directly, all sizes and formats, everything from five pounds for a home brewer to semi-truck loads. Um, So we're a full established business. And uh, we also distribute with Country Malt Group, which helps reach more brewers in the community because distribution is a part of the supply chain for for craft brewers, a very, very um, small group of distributors in our industry. But most brewers, they 
they're very small these days, so they need everything for one brew potentially on one pallet. Um, so that's a little bit about our supply chain and, and Origin Malt as a company. Um, my two colleagues that I work directly with, Whitney and Rebecca, we across, I think, all of our years of experience probably add up to almost 50 years in the industry, both brewing and malt. Yeah, when I first met you last year, I was just so impressed at your breadth of knowledge. I mean, oh, thanks. <laughs> I, first of all, you're the first person I know who is a malt supplier. Um, <laughs> and I, and I heard, tell us a little bit how you got started in it. I, I know you had a mentor, but um, yeah, um, like we just know, think honestly I'm, sometimes I just I mean it, I think for years people thought you just order from Wireman or you, you order from a company, but obviously <laughs> you, you're an important part of it. Yeah, I think, you know, the understanding of a supply chain and one thing that I always harp on and try to explain is that if we don't support American agriculture, you're not going to have that preservation of open space. Um, you're not going to spread that economic wealth throughout your community. Um, the majority of malt today is actually imported either from Canada or overseas. Um, so to reestablish that supply chain, I think is really, really critical. Um, and then also the environmental impact. So when I started in this industry, it was my interest specifically was in brewing. Yeah, I evolved into supply chain eventually um, and sales and marketing, but it was it was making beer. I loved making beer and I loved recipe building and I loved the curiosity and the excitement that comes with finding new flavors and um, new new products. Um, you know, the hop industry has really evolved with different types of hop applications from um, extracts to whole cone to fresh hops. We have a variety of applications in hopping, but the malt industry has seemed stagnant to me. And when I I, my first supplier that I worked for um, was White Labs yeast. Very, very dynamic and very intriguing because yeast creates 80% of that final flavor of your beer. Um, but what I really wanted to understand more about was the other raw materials and malt seemed like such a mystery to me. It was so, it wasn't talked about, but at the same time, it's literally the foundation of beer. Um, you can't make beer without it. And that, to me, kind of sent me on that, that journey of, of really understanding not only the scale of the supply chain on the malt side, but um, it opened my eyes. It opened my eyes to mass agriculture. It, um, it, I was first working for a supplier who was growing primarily in the biggest barley growing regions of, of North America, Canada, and up in Montana. and. Uh, the other big industries that grow out there are Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors. So when you think about craft beer and what really establishes um, the foundation of this kind of really not, not just a community, but a, an industry that sees opportunity and the ability to be creative and dynamic um, I think we we needed to look outside of the traditional growing regions, not only from the sustainability factor, but from the creativity and uh, and the fact that we can drive our economy here within the U.S. with more barley being grown here, for sure. That's great. And was was Ohio, was there a history of growing malt and barley in Ohio? Yeah, and that's what's wild. And, and you really have to think back to that, to the history of beer. Some of the largest breweries were... We're here in Ohio and in surrounding states. Um, Pre-prohibition, there was over 350,000 acres of barley that was being grown in Ohio. Um, and as of, I think it was 2015, it was only 500. Um, origin malt. So our, our supply chain is a very tight supply chain because we maintain traceability on all of our seed um, because we hold the license to that variety. So purity, traceability, and transparency is really critical for us. We planted 10,000 acres, um, just about, in five different states this past fall, um, which is all being harvested, literally, as we speak. Between now and next week, almost all of those acres will be harvested, um, and then it'll be stored, and it will go to become malt and be put into the beers that hopefully we all get to enjoy. You know, on a farming question, um, mm -hmm. separate from, you know, how you 
your relationship with the farmers. But the real thing is the weather. What this Ooh, time yeah. of year? What are the farmers praying for in terms of weather? <laughs> with harvest coming. I mean, consistency would be nice. In the in in our region, I think in you know we talked about rain a little bit earlier. Um, we had a mild winter. Um, it was definitely better than uh, winter 2018. Uh, but I will say that the the weather patterns have been a little bit wild, pop-up storms. Um, we get a lot of, across our region, you know, coming up out of the Gulf, you'll see these popcorn storms or popcorn thunderstorms that pop up and then blow away or pop up again. Um, for farmers, right now, um, barley harvests on average two weeks earlier than wheat, which is a good thing because growers of barley can actually get in a second crop of soybeans, um, which is really great not only for, for their bottom line, but for the soil health as well. Um, what's interesting, though, is you're literally waiting on Mother Nature. You not only need, you want the rain, um, to you know soften the ground a little bit especially if you've gotten your soybeans in or your corn but you need it to be dry enough so you can get your tractor in the field and so that the moisture on the barley is correct and and all of those factors really it is a day by day um and sometimes hour by hour job for sure and you, you might have side. uh you might have someone renting a tractor or rent hiring hands and waiting around for weather too right um, oh, yeah. It's not every farmer that just has a semi-truck, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> that is another side. Um, some of our growers are large growers that have that level of equipment, um, but some of them lease their land and lease the equipment. Um, so those are all parts of their business that we, we have to manage um, and understand and be tolerant of you know, what they face in the field. Okay, now we're going to Kim Harris. We're going to go back to you um, one more time. The motto of your college is find a way or make one. Um, yes. How, how are you, Harlem Hops, your hospitality establishment, how are you guys re responding to COVID? And just you just pour it out because this, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, indeed, it, it definitely does. Um, but um, I guess when we when we initially designed Harlem Hops, um, it was important for us to, you know, make sure that we were known as a beer bar and not a restaurant, and and um, letting my restaurant manager know that we were a bar and not a restaurant. <laughs> and that we had to do things a little bit differently um, in terms of, you know, designing and structuring the business and, you know, studying from, you know, a year studying different models. We knew what worked and what didn't work. And one of the things that was important for us to invest in was buying a crawler machine. And, you know, at first we would sell a couple of crawlers um every uh every week but of course once we had to go into this model of to go and um take out everybody was just they just started coming for the crawlers and you know my partner uh kevin he's definitely done a great job at um keeping our can inventory um fresh and with the hottest and newest stuff out there but uh, the crawlers have really um, done well for us too. Um, so that's one of the things that, you know, in terms of pivoting, that was critical for us to um, kind of hurry to figure out how we were going to redesign the, the model of the business, um, keeping our staff employed, but, you know, decreasing their hours, um, you know, just, shifting everything into like the mindset of having more of a, a hybrid store model um, than just an actual bar and it's you know turned out to be well because of course you know we're we're in a neighborhood where we don't have a lot of um, competition in terms of what the product that we're offering so um, we have um, very you know committed and 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 um, we love all of our supporters and our patrons 
and they come and then it's been helpful that we've been getting additional press so we see you know people from different parts of the city coming up as well so it's you know it's 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 definitely we're always on our toes you know I think all three of us play basketball at some point in our lives so <laughs> so we understand how how, how to pivot <laughs> <laughs> and then what what are you drinking right now or or what should I be drinking at Harlan Hobbs that is so funny you um you you say that because I just took a sip of some water <laughs> I have been I have not been drinking um uh I've just been cleansing over the past couple of months and 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 until I can get back in uh, into the bar and really have a real proper drink um but if I were drinking right now I would definitely be drinking um the uh the one of the newer beers from the friend zone series we did a collaboration with a bunch of different breweries and beer bars and um our name our logo is on the can of um the non sequitur beers um love your friends die laughing and it's um it's a double ipa it's like 8.5% um it's like everybody's talking about how crushable it is um i i can't wait to try it um it has grapefruit notes pinot gris um i think it's and and they say it's super dank so you know i'm i'm looking forward to trying that soon uh my partner will save me some <laughs> <laughs> but we're going through that like water right now so um that would definitely be one of the first things that I would be drinking. I'll be drinking as soon as I stop cleansing. Well, I, you know, you got me craving it, so <laughs> I'll, I'll get I'll get in line. I don't usually get in line, but I'll get in line for that. Um, <laughs> and let's finish up. But let's talk about beer style. So, Sarah, with um, or let's go with Catherine. You know, with the importance of malt, and I know we're all talking about crushable double IPAs and hops. Is there a a favorite or a recommended style of beer that's malt forward that you really like, Catherine? Uh, well, right now I'm really loving all the dark lagers. It's become a real go-to um, on our menu and um, that is super, super malt dependent. Um, what I like to say about malt is that, you know, hops get all the attention, but malt provides the real backbone. Malt is what really makes the beer, both in terms of backbone and weight and flavor and, you know, all these things that you don't really that didn't used to really be getting a whole lot of attention, but now people, you know, the, the focus is coming back more back onto it. And so I think that, you know, the malt just provides such a depth that is amazing. And these dark lagers, like they're, I think someone, maybe it's uh, fifth hammer has a beer called, I think year of the Schwartz. And it's because somehow this year, a whole bunch of New York breweries just put out dark lagers and Schwartz beers and, and, and they all swear that they didn't talk to each other. It's just what they all came to. So that's, that's, that's my, um, that's my contribution. So that, that, is that, is that driving culture too, or it's like a trend that everyone's figuring out? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, see, and, and we get a lot more play, like, you know, we we're moving a lot more of the dark lagers than we ever, ever were in the past. And, um, you know, and there's so many people putting out really quality ones like Suarez, uh, Suarez family has one of the best ones I've ever tried. And, you know, it's, a, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a, a, a complete example of driving culture. All of a sudden the dark loggers are really in the conversation. So absolutely. That's great. Well, I'd, I'd like if, if any of you have a question for, for one, one of the other, um, this is probably a good time to ask it. Um, Sarah, do you, you want to ask one of the other guests a question? Well, I love like the topic of, of malt in beers and especially knowing that both of you, both of your establishments have consumers coming in. I'd be curious to know if um, it's not directly malt related, but do you have consumers that ask engaging and, and curious, is there a curiosity in the consumer these days in raw, in regards to raw materials or what breweries are using? Um, I'm sure like you constantly get questions about, is it organic? <laughs> But I'm curious, do do you feel that your consumer base and your customers are um, inquisitive about 
the process and the materials that go into into craft beer in your bars. Kim? Um, I think as, <clears throat> um, you know, the older we get, the more we see the, I guess, quote unquote, beer nerd um, uh, frequenting our establishment. So yeah, quite often you'll, I can hear my bartenders overhear them having in-depth conversation in terms of the um, details <clears throat> that went into formulating the beer um is uh i i think you know like i I can't really tell if it's like you know is it just that we just have more um experienced drinkers coming in or if people are just learning to become more experienced at drinking either way um you know i think it it's it's an excellent conversation to have with people so they can have a better understanding of what it is that they are drinking. And, you know, I'm all about educating people, um, for, for, in terms of the beer culture so that it makes sense to them so they can understand that, you know, it's more than just, we're over here just crushing a bunch of Budweiser's. This is way more, a little more sophisticated than that. Um, and that I think that, that message kind of makes it a little more intriguing for most. No, that's true. That's a really good point. And Catherine, anything else you want to say to close this out? Um, yeah, I just want to respond to that question real quick that it's one of my favorite things about craft beer bars is that there's built in conversation. And so in terms of creating relationship, both with your patrons, customers and between the patrons and customers is that you just start that conversation and, someone hears it and you can see them being interested. So you link those two people together and they're talking about what hops they like, what malts they like, what breweries they like, what kind of beers they like, where they've been. And that's to me, like that's, you know, that's kind of the nut of the whole thing is you get people who are really, you know, aligned and interested in a certain thing. And then all of a sudden they're pals and they come in to see each other. And, you know, that's, that's really one of the things I love the most about the craft beer community. Well, that's great. It's so great having you guys. I will say, once again, it reaffirmed that since I was in elementary school, the smartest students in the room were the girls. So <laughs> thank you. This has been a great conversation and um, looking forward to talking to you all again. Uh, once again, uh, thank you, Kim and Sarah and Catherine, for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. Big shout out to our producer, Dylan Hoyer, and head engineer, Matt Patterson. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.